so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we're just so mad and tired and then mad again, and people are just fucking stupid. Um, I am Lauren Hofries Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Karen, hello. Hello. And how are you doing, Karen? It has been a while since we've recorded. It has been a while since we chatted. Uh, do you want to, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been up to? I don't think I've slept at all since last we spoke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was kidding when I said that. Um, yeah, so I went to Sundance and I was there for, I don't know, nine or 10 years. Um, (laughs) and it was amazing and I'll get more into detail with some of the awesome things I saw while I was there. Um, but it was great. I had a really good time. I was really, really tired when it was over, though, and then I came home Saturday night, and the next day, my 49ers were in the Super Bowl, and they didn't win, but it's okay, because my (laughs) second favorite team happens to be the Kansas City Chiefs, so it was actually kind of a win-win game, which has never (laughs) happened in my entire life. Wow. (laughs) So it was pretty exciting. I was very happy. Uh, There have been times where I wanted both teams to lose the Super Bowl. Yeah, I've had that, too. Yeah, but I've never had a time where I was genuinely excited for either team to win. So, yeah, that <laughs> was fun. Nice. And then this week, it's just been, you know, getting ready for the Oscars, which I am going to be going to the Oscars. And I still cannot believe that they gave me a badge and said I'm welcome to show up. <laughs> like, <laughs> Must are be you nice. sure? <laughs> Are you sure that you know what you're doing? Because I have some questions. Um, of course, this is the group that gave Green Book Best Picture last year. So maybe their judgment is a little bit off. But um, but yeah, last night I was at a, a party for uh, Universal. I got to have a really nice conversation with Roger Deakins and his wife. I actually talked to his wife more. Yeah. Um, and she is lovely. And it was actually pretty cool. And then um, also... Christy, I always get her name backwards, Wilson Cairns, or maybe it's Cairns, I think it's Wilson Cairns, who wrote 1917, co-wrote it. She's so sweet. And it's like, how did you write a big war movie? You're just so nice. (laughs) 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 But I think that's why she wrote it and why it's so good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then today I got to tour the Academy Museum. It's not open yet. And they don't have any installations in place yet, but they the space is is basically ready, and um, they haven't announced the official date. I suspect, although I couldn't get anybody to slip and confirm it to me because they're not allowed to tell. Uh, I suspect they're going to announce on Sunday the date. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be soon. I'm thinking like beginning of March. It's it's that close to ready, so. 
Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Tomorrow I'll be at the Spirit Awards, and then Sunday at the Oscars, and then Monday I will sleep for a year. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. What have well, you been I'm up not- to? I haven't been doing anything even remotely that exciting. <laughs> I think I've been working. I think I've pretty much been working. This is actually, I took the day off today, and this is actually, I think, my first proper full day off in weeks, which might yeah. be why I'm coming down with a cold, so. Yep. Sounds about right. As soon as you stop, uh, your body's like, okay, good. Now I'm going to make sure you rest. Yeah, exactly. But, but I'm like, no, 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 no. I still have things I have to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, so also people are stupid and I keep on arguing with people online, which I really need to stop doing because they're stupid. Like really, really, really stupid. Like Um, they want to be stupid. It's, I don't understand it. They're proud of being stupid. Yeah, exactly. I, I honestly, like, I can't believe that we're still arguing about Jojo (laughs) Rabbit. I can't believe that this is a thing that is still happening. The basic facts of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, it's no, not, it's, it's, it's just, not, it's just is like, this good or bad? It's like, oh. No, like, I, ha- I had one, I had one guy who kept on quoting the screenplay at me, and I was like, and he literally said that he had not seen the movie. <laughs> and I was like, and he was like, well, does this happen? I was like, see the movie. Yeah. And he was like, well, but then does this happen? I was like, see the fucking movie. I'm not going to have a conversation with you about a characterization when you haven't seen the movie that you're talking about like well she characterized like this like i i can't tell you because you haven't seen the goddamn movie go see the movie come back to me but actually i think you're an idiot and i don't really want to talk to you anyways so yeah like please don't come back but uh (laughs) go watch the movie (laughs) but like it was it's just it's very weird it is a very weird film to be so angry about um Mm -hmm. you know like but at the same time i guess i kind of expect it with how stupid people are. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this weird thing with people where when they when there's a movie they don't like and they see it getting praise that they don't necessarily think it deserves, some people just get really like extra angry about that and then it makes them determined to just tear it down. And I mean, I kind of probably fell a little bit into that with Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year, but it was like, I mean, I I kind of stopped having conversations about it pretty early on because the conversations weren't going anywhere. It's like, okay, great. You liked it. I didn't. You thought these things worked. I didn't. Fine. What's there left to talk about? I'm going to shut up and go watch something else now that I do like. And there are just some people that can't let it go. Yeah. I mean, one one of the problems that I think keeps on happening with this particular film is I am fine if you don't like the movie. My problem is that at least among people that are critics, right? Yeah. I have I have read exact one one review that was a mixed review and that the reviewer actually acknowledged that she had particular emotions attached to the film because of her background, right? And so she mm-hmm. said that outright. And it was the only review that I have read that was a, that was like a mixed to I I think that she was mostly positive about it. She kind of went back and forth on it, but it was one of the few mixed reviews that I've read that actually engaged with with the text of the film every other every negative review i have read and i have not read all of them obviously um has has been just incorrect and Mm -hmm. i don't mean like this is not the correct way to react to this film i mean like actually has obviously ignored or missed half of the film yeah 
and just focused on one little part of it that then they blow up into this massive thing and it, it suddenly is like, oh, this is what the movie's about. It's like, but it's literally not. And it can't be because you're not acknowledging the other half of the film. So mm-hmm. we can't even have a conversation about it because it's not really a difference of opinion. It's a diff- It's a difference of like reality. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's a difference of like, I watched the film and the things that you are saying happen in it do not happen. Right. So yeah, I, exactly. I don't know what to do here. I can't, I can't talk to you about it, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I reshared my review from our site today because I saw a couple people resharing their negative reviews, which it was weird. They're not people that I follow, but there was this sense of like, I mean, I made the leap today to predict that it could win Best Picture. And I have some very specific reasons. It's not just me projecting my hopes and dreams because uh, it would be amazing. But I actually have some very specific reasons why I think it really could win. And I think it is a dark horse that nobody's watching for. Um, it, but I'm not the only one that did. Uh, Jazz Tanke, our friend who works at Variety, mm-hmm. she also did. She's actually the one that, that gave me the confidence to just go for it because we talked about it the other day. And I think a few other people have pulled that trigger, too. And so because of that, going into Oscar weekend, which there's no way to sway the vote now. It's already done. But I think a few people are kind of preparing for the possibility by saying, like, but remember, it's actually bad. And here's the review I wrote to show you that it's bad. And so I was just like, no. All right, fine. Here's my positive review again for Mm -hmm. those of you who missed it or want to see it again or whatever. And someone quote tweeted my tweet with oh yeah I love it when you know just because someone doesn't like the movie you like that it's automatic that they misunderstood it and I said I was just like um yeah I hate it when that's the assumption too but in this case it's actually specifically correct that people are misunderstanding the movie so (laughs) it's I I don't know I don't know I, I find it I find it such a hopeful and intense and, and such a well-made film that I, I I'm honestly baffled how people can have the reaction to this film that they're having. Don't um, let me forget. You... Bef- don't let me forget before we hang up. I have a totally off the record thing to share with you <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, the, the anger surrounding this film. It's just, yeah. it's it's kind of baffling to me. I, I don't get it. Even if you don't like it, I don't see how you can, I mean, at worst, it's just like, okay, yeah, it's it's good. It didn't work for me. Yeah. Fine. But it's like, no, it is explicitly endorsing Nazism. It's like, I <laughs> don't know. No, that is not correct. <laughs> it's actually the opposite of correct. Like, but, but okay, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, well, and I've even seen people have been like, this kid should never work again. You know, things like that. It's like actually attacking. The cutest child that's ever lived. Yeah, it's actually attacking these children. It's just like, yes, that is the perfect way to, you know, reinforce your argument. A child should yes. be blacklisted. Obviously. Good job okay, for bullying good. kids now. Yay. To make your point. <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's move on. Let's move on and talk about some, well, we have some kind of interesting things to discuss right now. We've had uh, over the past... Over the past what a couple of weeks, we've had yeah. two pretty high-profile um, uh, celebrity deaths, 
and one of them very unexpected and one of them more expected um, much more expected mu- much more expected eventually like the last was, 20 years <laughs> yeah eventually this was going to happen the sooner it was going to happen sooner rather than later um but of course we're talking about kobe bryant uh and and kirk douglas kirk douglas who passed away yesterday i believe yesterday or the day before mm-hmm. uh and so one of the interesting things uh, about the 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 uh, discussion that has been surrounding um, both Bryant and Douglas is, of course, we know that both of them have been involved in some pretty high profile accusations of rape. Uh, Kobe Bryant went to uh, went to uh, he did he did, I believe, actually go to trial. They had there was like a long case about it. It ended uh, up settling, I think. She settled, She eventually settled out of court. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she eventually settled out of court. His his lawyers suggested that um, that this this girl who was 19 years old at the time, um, they suggested that she was sexually promiscuous. That initially there had been like oh he raped her. Then it was no it was it was an affair but it was a consensual affair. Um, there were questions about blood and semen and all kinds of things, all of those sorts of really gritty details that go into a case like this. Uh, on the other side of it, Kirk Douglas has been, and I'm going to say this very clearly, rumored uh, by, and this has been talked about by numerous people, has been rumored to have been uh, involved with the rape of Natalie Wood when she was 16 years old. This is something that Wood never particularly talked about. This was something that had been, I think, mentioned by her mother. Uh, and Her sister, was, I think. And her sister, yeah, her sister. But I, th- I feel like her mother was involved in it at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And, but this has never been confirmed. This has never been, this is not something that anyone ever went to trial for. But this was something that has kind of always cast a bit of a shadow over Kirk Douglas's legacy and over how we understand him. One of the interesting issues that, of course, has come out with the deaths of these two men is, are we going to talk about, what are, are we going to talk about the elephant in the room? Are we going to talk about these less than attractive things? that they have done or they they have been alleged to do uh in relationship to all of the good things that they have done there there were a lot of discussions of how what a wonderful basketball player what a wonderful um uh entrepreneur what a wonderful philanthropist kobe bryant was there have been a lot of talks about how what an icon kirk douglas is and how instrumental he was in helping people with uh who were blacklisted in um you know forwarding the cause of liberalism in hollywood all of this stuff so you've got all these very complicated issues then one of the problems that came out both with Bryant and to a slightly lesser extent with douglas uh is what is essentially hagiography so this the sainting of these men after they have passed on, largely ignoring, or when it's not being ignored, saying like, oh well, this this doesn't really we're not going to talk about it because it, it's it's the wrong time. It's like okay, well we couldn't talk about it when they were alive. We're not going to talk about it now that they're dead. And if we talk about it a year from now, we're going to say, well, why are you bringing this up? It's old history. Yeah. So there there's some very complicated issues that are going into this uh, and and particularly given that none of this has you know no not neither of these guys were convicted of anything neither of these guys Douglas was never explicitly accused of anything but we know things about them that are definitely less than stellar and so how do we navigate those kinds of complicated legacies of 
people that we admire and people that we um that are icons for for good or evil so what what thoughts do you have on that karen yeah well it was interesting because um you messaged me right when i was literally copying a link to message it to you and it's uh, a piece by jill filipovic uh, called Kobe Bryant and Complicated Legacies. And there's there's a piece, or like I read the whole thing. It's actually a bit long, but it's really good. And we'll make sure to link it in the show notes. But toward the end, she writes, there's no shame in grieving the end of a human life. It is good to feel, especially for the person who knew and loved, for the people who knew and loved the person who died. No matter how painful or complicated a person's legacy, considering their death with softness and grace calls on us to draw from the best parts of ourselves. That same work of compassion also calls on us to remember that no person is an island. All of our lives leave ripples. Some lives are tsunamis. Compassion is not summarizing the beauty of the wave. It's picking through the wreckage, reckoning with who was hurt. Awe without honesty isn't respect, it's myth. Admiration of only the easy parts is fanaticism, not reverence. And I just thought that was so beautifully Mm -hmm. stated. And it really summed up kind of how I've been thinking about how to deal with this. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, near Los Angeles. And I mean, even on the water tower down the street from my house, the city's like big landmark water tower thing. They've got every night they've had the purple and gold for the Lakers projected on there, just the lights. And so, I mean, Kobe Bryant's death was widespread and widely felt Mm -hmm. and it impacted a lot of people. And I don't think that it's, that it's fair to dismiss that or to say that because of who he was as a as a career person and because of the the hero that he was to a lot of people around the world that they shouldn't grieve someone because he did this really terrible thing at one point in his life but at the same time we can't just ignore the fact that he did that terrible thing either and i think that i think that this this article by Jill i think it really for me, it, it just really drove home the fact that everyone is is complicated. We are so many different facets and nobody is the worst thing that they've done and nobody is the best thing that they've done. We're so many things in between and it's very easy to forget that. And mm-hmm. it's okay and important to talk about that. And, and I mean, maybe within an hour of finding out Kobe Bryant and his daughter died wasn't the time to bring up the fact that he had credibly been, you know, sued and, and had raped someone. But but it doesn't mean that you just shouldn't talk about it at all. And I don't think that you should put a time limit on it. I mean, for some people, right after they found out was, was a good time for them. And it was something that they needed to work through themselves and... I just, I don't know. It's very complicated, but I think that we have to talk about, if we're going to talk about what a hero somebody was, we also have to talk about the things they did that weren't heroic and and acknowledge that. And I think that it, it all matters and it's all worth discussing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm not a big basketball fan or anything like that. It was, it was obviously shocking um, because it was so unexpected. It was so sudden uh 
And, but I, I even remember I was on the subway, uh, I think when you initially, you initially texted me and then I looked it up online and everything, but like, I could even hear like around me, people talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. which is, is surprising. That's not usual in a lot of celebrity deaths. We don't immediately like begin hearing about it, but there was definitely a ripple going through where like, I, I remember passing, I passed a guy on the street who obviously he stopped and he was like, Oh my God, Kobe. Like, and he had obviously just read it on his phone and he like stopped his girlfriend and they began talking about it. He was reading the article out loud to her. So there was definitely this, this something that had happened, right? And, and people had felt yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, I certainly think that particularly with that kind of a death, we don't need to be talking about bad shit an hour later. But... Right we do have to also not miss the fact that one of the things that people often say is just like, it's too soon. Don't talk about it. And then it Mm -hmm. becomes, it's well, why are you talking about it now? It's in the past. Uh, And there's very little space between the too soon and who cares. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and so there's this whole attitude of like, you're tarnishing his legacy. So, you know, if we talk about, Uh, going on to Kirk Douglas, if we talk about Kirk Douglas and say like, well, you know, there are these rumors and these things about him that are not, you know, he was never directly accused, but are fairly credible Um, and wouldn't be surprising given the kind of person that he was, uh, that he explicitly talked about being this very masculine take, never takes no for an answer kind of person. Um, you know, can we talk about that fact? Can we talk about the fact that there is a strong chance that he raped Natalie Wood as a, as a, a effectively as a child? She was a teenager. She was 16 years old. Um, that shouldn't make tons of difference, but, you know, it, it does. That's It makes it even worse in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, but we have to be able to talk about that. At the same time, I absolutely, like, I love Kirk Douglas's films. Um, I think he's a great actor. He's brilliant in Spartacus. He did a lot of good in Hollywood in, in terms of the blacklist, especially. Uh, he was incredibly influential and he used his his celebrity and the, the degree of celebrity that he had at a particular period of time in a positive way. And that is good. And he also did bad shit. And, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the fact that someone can make great art and be a bad person. And that does not undercut the art that does not say that the art has to be dismissed but at the same time we can't simply say oh i love the art so i'm just going to ignore the fact that this person is bad that this person has done bad things and has also done good things you know we have to i i think that i yeah, jill's article is called complicated legacies and i think that that's really what it comes down to that this, these are complicated legacies but they are a part of the legacy good and bad and you have to have all of that we cannot sanctify our celebrities we can't decide so and so is a saint and they never did anything wrong their entire lives they just did nothing but good because they self-evidently did not and some of them did some pretty bad things so we have to have that balance. And we have to we have to be able to talk about it publicly. We can't be like whispering about it or anything like that, because that's how these things continue to spiral. That we can never engage with the fact that um, that these primarily men, 
Um, and I think Jill addresses this really well. She says, uh, what we admire is so overwhelmingly male so much of the time, and as a result, what we are willing to set aside, what we deem inconvenient, um, the worst makers of more important male matters is overwhelmingly female. And that's very important to, to, to be like, we can, we can admire these men for the good things that they did, but we need to be certain that we do not forget the bad things that they did. And by the same token, we can talk about the bad things that they did without forgetting the good. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've done that a lot of times on this this podcast. You know, we've talked about old Hollywood and people that had a lot of skeletons and a lot of problems just, you know, even well-known, widely, you know, widely known, little-kept secrets that... Uh, it's it's good to talk about those things. That's how we're going to get to a point where things like the casting couch don't exist anymore is by acknowledging that those things happen. And that's how we're going to get to a point where we can hold people accountable when they commit serious crimes against other people mm-hmm. uh, by not, you know, just washing it away just because they've died and, oh, we can't speak ill of the dead. It's not speaking ill of the dead. It's speaking honestly of the dead and acknowledging who they were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so much of this, partially because of media culture and, and social media, so much of this has just been separated into binaries. You're either good or you're bad. Uh, mm-hmm. You either did nothing but good in your life or you did nothing but bad in your life. Either the one bad thing cancels out all of the good things or... Um, all of the good things cancels out the multiple bad things, you know, and there, there is this like back and forth that has happened that maybe was always a part of our society in a lot of ways. Um, and I mean, we've observed how certain kinds of scandals can just completely end someone's career. Very often they're actually not the kinds of scandals that we're talking about. They're more like, you know, oh, he was gay. Right. Uh, which, you know, is not evil. (laughs) (laughs) is not rape i don't know but you know it's interesting that um that those kinds of things can can destroy someone's career but you know oh he raped a child Eh, well you know haven't we all i'm sorry that's a a horrible joke (laughs) that's a terrible joke (laughs) i apologize for that it's dark humor um but i mean that's the kind of added but but that is the kind of attitude that, that gets going. It's just like, well, he did these horrible things to women. It's just like, yeah, but mm-hmm. doesn't everybody, you know, that's, that's kind didn't? of the attitude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And which then, of course, reveals a lot more than, than uh, reveals a lot more about the person speaking than anything else. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's complicated. We do need to talk about the fact that um, Kirk Douglas may not have been the greatest person alive. And he also made some really good art. Exactly. It happens. It does. I mean, I mean, even we're going to talk about him in a minute because, of course, we are. But even Harvey Weinstein, some of the films that he produced are really great films. And he yep. helped get some very, really talented people working behind the scenes and on screen. And he's also a monster. Yep. Yep. Got to talk about all of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, we seem to talk about that an awful lot on this podcast, not through any ne- necessarily through any choice of our own. It just keeps on coming up. <laughs> exactly. 
<sighs> All right. Well, why don't why don't we talk about Weinstein? Because let's do the Weinstein trial is underway. I believe that the prosecution has arrested their case, so we're now into the defense. Uh, most recently, there has been a bit of a kerfluffle over um, uh, Weinstein's lawyer, who gave an interview to the New York Times podcast, The Daily. Uh, in which she said all kinds of things, including the fact that she has never been sexually assaulted because I would never put myself in that position, which is just so wonderful. And this is why women are protectors of the patriarchy because they say shit like this and they believe it. Uh, But one of the other things that actually came up as a result of this podcast episode is that the prosecution is now saying that she has, um, that she's broken a judge's order uh, by talking about the uh, celebrity victims by calling witnesses liars and things like that. Her defense is that the interview was recorded a long time ago. Uh, I believe that the New York Times has has said that the... Yeah, the, the New York Times spokeswoman said the interview was recorded on January 28th, which is a day <laughs> after key witnesses' testimony and is just now out I mean, to be February fair, 7th. January 28th feels like a long time ago. It does. It does. You know, maybe she was just like, no, that was forever ago. It was like, no, it was like last week. (laughs) (laughs) It was last Tuesday. Oh. (laughs) So we don't know what's actually, um, uh, what's actually going to wind up coming of this, but you know, Jesus Christ, guys. Uh, You also had something else that you wanted to talk about, Karen, (laughs) and I'm not going to talk about it. So you go for it. (laughs) I can't believe I'm about to talk about Harvey Weinstein's junk on our podcast, but, um... <laughs> We've talked about I, everything else. I mean, let's you just... You know, why not? I am very grateful that I do not live in New York and am not in this jury, <laughs> and that I don't live in Los Angeles and can't be on the jury here if they do go forward with charges here in L.A., uh, because I don't want to be subjected to this. Um, page six reported that the jurors, one of the final things that the prosecutors did when uh, before they rested their case was that they showed, this is on Tuesday, um, they showed five photos of Harvey Weinstein um, that were not clothed. <laughs> and um, yes, five nude photos of the Quote, portly 67-year-old disgraced producer. (laughs) Uh, And the explanation is that it was to help corroborate the victim's testimonies where they described his odd genitalia. That is also a quote from page six. Um, So, yeah, apparently I have not looked at any pictures. I realized as I was mid-sentence, don't type Harvey Weinstein nude photos. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I haven't seen the pictures. I'm not going to see the pictures. I haven't heard descriptions either. But apparently he has some very specific um, identifiers. And so they wanted to make sure that the jurors had to see that. And as much as I feel really bad for the jury having to look at that, there's something just so, uh, it just feels a little bit, a little tiny, tiny bit of justice that Harvey Weinstein, because these photos weren't just ones that he just happened to have on his phone. <laughs> the prosecutors actually like took these photos. So he had to stand there naked while they're taking pictures of his dick. And there's just something about that. That's a little bit like good, good 
for just a tiny, tiny moment, you know a little bit of how this feels. And yeah. I do not feel bad for him. There's definitely a bit of schadenfreude going on there. It's, uh... Yes. It's just like, oh no, you're you're feeling violated, are you? Oh, oh it's so sad for you. It's really, it's really tough. That must be difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it says one female Manhattan Supreme Court juror made a slight face when she saw the snaps, while another woman on the panel raised her eyebrows, and a male juror opened his eyes widely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) It would be kind of fun to be in that courtroom. My god. I can just imagine being a reporter there, just being like, I am going to have to write this down. All right, one woman is raising her eyebrows a great deal. Another man looks quite shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Men get really weird about seeing other men's junk, so, you know. They do, even though they talk about it a lot. Like, they, there's a lot of conversation about junk, and then, like, as soon as they're faced with it, they're like, oh my god. Like, Yeah. But they sure want us to see it. <clears throat> it's very odd. It's very odd. Anyway. All right. So, yeah. So the Harvey Weinstein the Harvey Weinstein case uh, continues on. You know, hopefully, hopefully something will come of this. You know, it's so hard to be hopeful about these kinds of things. But at least he's being a little humiliated. So that's, that's a nice little, little taste of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we do have, we do have some questions. Most uh, one of one of them from uh, from our <laughs> wonderful Kristen uh, at Tornies underscore from uh, who says Kristen Lopez Radio Times just how much of a piece of shit was Kirk Douglas, uh, which of course we have talked about right now. I mean, if he did what he is alleged to have done, that's a pretty pretty horrible thing. Uh, as I say, I also like his films a great deal, so I'm just going to kind of separate those two things in my brain and live like that, because that's what I do. That's I've, I've had to do that my entire life, because I'm a woman. Uh, and I you cannot enjoy anything about film if you are not constantly having to separate things out. Um, from Brendan at BLC Agnew, wants to know, what the fuck is wrong with people? <laughs> Why are they all dumb and also bad? We don't know, Brendan. I I, I don't We've know. We've been asking Do you know? that question for a hundred and three episodes, hundred and four <laughs> episodes. So, so we don't know. They just seem to be. I I think that it is. I think it is lack of cinematic education, per- partially. Um, but I got mm-hmm. into a lot of trouble the last time I said that. So I'm not going to say it again, except very loudly. I would say it multiple times. Um, Ooh, but I am excited because. Um, sorry, I'm going to go back to the Academy Museum for a minute. Um, they are going to do some really, really cool things that I'm excited about. One of which is they're going to have an education room that you get to actually play with and explore how films are made. Not not just like going into the history, but they're going to start with The Wizard of Oz and they're going to have stations. So it is going to show how, like, how the costumes were designed, how the production design happened yeah. and the set decoration and all that and how the... Um, how the departments worked together and how they made the decisions that they made and how it all flows. And it's going to be start to finish the entire craft process of a film, which is really exciting. They're also going to have these uh, temporary exhibits. And uh, the first one is going to be Hayao Miyazaki. And they're going to have a whole thing about his work, Studio Ghibli. It's the first time they've ever released 
the art and stuff from his from their films anywhere outside of Japan. So it's really cool because they're going to have this. And then the second exhibit that they're going to do after the Miyazaki one is done is Black Film History from 1900 to 1970. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're doing some amazing things. Yeah. And so many people, they've only talked, they only were talking about the first couple of things they're going to do. Because, I mean, this is all going to be, you know, a year out. They've got planned. But um, several different people throughout the tour commented on how a lot of the installations they're going to bring in and a lot of the things that they're going to have available is not just going to be, look at how wonderful Hollywood was. It's also going to be really honest about the problems of the past and and things that have changed and how how it's good that they've changed, but also things that haven't. And I'm really... I'm really happy to see that the Academy is taking that seriously and they're actually going to take their their chance to educate people and also try to move the conversation forward. I think it's awesome. I'm very excited. That's good. That that that's good that they're that they're serious about that and that they're actually Yeah. Like and and also the the Wizard of Oz thing sounds really cool to to actually mm-hmm. get to see the way that a film is put together because we that's the stuff that we don't see a lot of the time, you know, and particularly if that is a good way also to get people interested in history and in production and how Hollywood has worked and does work because you take this film that is very iconic that a lot of people love and you go through like, okay, this didn't just, you know, spring fully formed onto the screen. There were all of these people that were behind it um, and all of this mm-hmm. artistry that's behind it. And, and, and this film doesn't just right. And a film doesn't just become what it becomes because you have a great director yeah. I mean, Martin Scorsese's films aren't just amazing because he is. It's because he's got, you know, Sandy Powell doing costumes and Thelma Schoonmaker cutting it and, you know, and whoever's shooting it. Like, all those elements have to come together to make the films what they are. And so it's really cool. They're going to start with The Wizard of Oz, but and they didn't say how often they're going to change it, but they're going to do different films so you can see the whole process start to finish from all kinds of different movies throughout history, which that's super cool. They're also going to have Foley studios where you can go in and actually like create Foley and, you know, learn how to add, how to add sound effects and how to edit them and how to mix them and all. I mean, they're really, they're really taking this seriously and they're really going, their, their mission is to educate people on film. And I'm so excited about that. That's really great. That's great. That's wonderful to hear, honestly. Like, I'm, yeah. one of the things that Hollywood has begun to do right, and, and you know, and part of it is because it, it, it valorizes itself, but one of the things that does do right is that it, it does invest a lot in its history, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in recent years. In the past in the past 20 years, there's been this huge burgeoning of interest in film preservation, in, and not just in the film itself, but also in preserving things like costumes and... Um, scripts and information about the way that certain films were made and of course a lot of that is already lost because people just thought like uh, nobody cares um and they left it in a basement to mold but um but it's really good that they're that they're moving forward with something like that and actually being like hey this is how films get made you know this is yeah. this is the part of the history of cinema and part and part of the contemporary history of cinema as well mm-hmm. that's really yeah cool. i'm very excited that's really cool. So uh, Brendan's second question was, uh, what is your favorite needle drop during a zany action scene? Uh, and I was trying to, I was trying to think of this one. The one that immediately popped into my head is um, don't stop me now. 
in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> uh, yes. When they're like, you know, it's it's almost the end of it all, and they're fighting off the zombies, and he plays Don't Stop Me Now. And still, every time... Every time I hear that song, I I just like want to go bash zombies' heads in. Like that's just that was the immediate <laughs> thing that I thought of. So do you have do you have one or two, Karen, that you really love? The very first one that popped into my head, this is super recent, but it's from Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. Right toward the end, that big fight scene when I'm just a girl starts, the no doubt song. Mm-hmm. And then it launches into this epic fight scene when she's finally realizing her real powers, and it's just so great. I love that that scene so much yes I love that that's too. i'm trying to think i'm sure there are others like i know there are others that i could totally think of if i gave it some time but that's that was the first one that popped into my head i just love that moment so much i mean and also we've been talking about jojo rabbit i i also i love the new i love the needle drop of come give me dana hand um yes and the opening credits of jojo rabbit that was the moment when i was like i am going to enjoy this film that is a that yep. is a deep Beatles cut right there, and perfect and perfect was... for the perfect for the film. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a moment that I was like, people, I, this is exactly the film I was hoping it was gonna be, and I knew I was just absolutely gonna love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, um, and and also uh, the immigrant song in uh, yes. Thor Ragnarok. Thor yeah. Ragnarok, yes. Yeah. Perfect use of that song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, so perfect. Man. Um Any others? I know I could think of others. I'm just I'm just not I'm blanking right now. Okay. Alright, so let's let's move on. And Karen, do you wanna do you wanna talk about Sundance? Because you spent a lot of time at Sundance, so you can give us a kind of a rundown of some of your favorites ones to see. Yeah. Yeah, um, I saw some really good stuff at Sundance this year. It was funny because going into it, like I looked at the list of there was something like 144. That includes short films, but like 144 different things that were being offered. And so what I did from there, I I think it was like 120 features. Um, So what I did was I narrowed it down and made a list of like, okay, these are films that if I get a chance, I'm interested in seeing them. And then what I tend to do is then not really look up anything more about them. I've already figured I was interested. I like to go in kind of cold to these things and not really know much about them. Um, So I narrowed it down to 43 films. And then some of my colleagues that were heading up were expressing their, their, uh, concern because they were like yeah the offerings this year don't look very good and i'm looking at my list going i don't know these all (laughs) sounded interesting to me um so it was just kind of a a weird thing but some of the movies that were that had a lot of buzz already going into them uh, mostly because they already had distribution movies like zola which um do you know about that one I have heard it talked about, but I have I haven't read any reviews of it yet or anything like that. Oh man! So I actually remember the night back in 2015 when this girl starts like just this epic Twitter thread about this story that happened to her, and I don't think I actually finished reading the thread because it was a hundred. It was almost 150 tweets, and it was going on for hours. But I remember that night 
And they ended up turning it into a movie. And it's basically the story of this girl, Zola, who she's working in like a Hooters. And this this other girl, this white girl, shows up with some guy. And the two of them get to talking and they end up exchanging phone numbers. She's a customer. But they end up exchanging phone numbers. And it turns out that they both strip for, for extra money on the side. And so this white girl calls up Zola and is like, hey, come with me to Florida for the weekend. We'll go make some money. Well, it turns out that they're getting her to go with them because they want to pimp her out. Mm. And she ends up kind of flipping the, kind of flipping things a bit. Like both, both of the girls are being pimped out essentially. And she kind of takes charge. And the story goes in just crazy directions that you just don't, some of it you you totally can see coming and it's still great. And others, it's like, what is happening right now? This is so crazy. It's nuts. And it's, it, uh, it's very unsettling. It's really funny, but it's also kind of terrifying in certain parts because anything could happen at any moment. And watching it, the experience of watching it actually reminded me of the experience. They're very different movies, but reminded me of the experience of watching Uncut Gems, where there's <laughs> never really a moment to just sit and breathe. There's always something happening. It's always stressful. It's always just about to get a little bit worse. And um, but yet it's so compelling and you just have to keep watching. So that was that was Zola. That one was really crazy. Um I also, my very favorite film of the festival, I didn't even see it until my last day of movie, movie watching, but that was Promising Young Woman. Yeah, which, can't wait. Yes, oh man. When I first heard about it, I was like, ah, I'm so tired of, because we've talked about this a lot, I'm so tired of victims, you know, like female victims of sexual abuse and like you had then it like it becomes a revenge story like i'm just mm-hmm. i'm tired of those but there's so many of them this is not what you think it's gonna be and i'm so glad i loved it so much i'm really excited for it to be in theaters i can't wait to see it again 500 times it's it's just fantastic emerald Fennell, man she's the d- director and writer she worked on killing eve that was kind of the big her big breakthrough this is her first feature film and she's smart she is <laughs> so smart and she really knows how to tell a, a great story and i'm oh man as soon as it was over i was messaging lauren like you've gotta see this you're gonna love it it's gonna be ugh, so good i'm yeah. so i'm so and, glad to hear that it, it's like a good film because it was it even from the trailers, I was like, this looks awesome, but I, I can also see it going in the wrong direction, and I'm just really glad that it, it doesn't, apparently. <laughs> you are going to love it so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I definitely, there is danger of overselling it, because I think some people, probably, especially because it doesn't come out for another three months or two months, but, uh, so there's definitely going to be some people thinking it's going to be, like, this game-changing movie, and I, I don't know that I would go that far, necessarily, but um, it's really entertaining and it's really just brilliant and vicious and it's this is the kind of this is the this is why we need more women making movies and why (laughs) we need more women telling stories about women is this movie right here because there's an entire like the whole last 10 minutes of it especially the beginning of that last 10 minutes i 
seriously was was rewriting like imagining how it would be different if a man has been telling the story and i yeah i i know exactly what a male writer would have done and it would have been so wrong (laughs) and yeah i'm super excited about it i can't i cannot wait for people to see it i also really loved the movie minari which won the uh grand jury prize also, it's um, about a Korean family who the couple had gotten married and then they moved to California right after their their wedding. This is in the 80s. And then they worked in California for years and saved up money and then eventually uh, bought a farm in Arkansas with the intention of growing Korean produce to sell because there's so many Korean immigrants at the time. And so it's just, it's this very quiet film about this family. Because by the time that they move to Arkansas, which is actually where it picks up, is them arriving at their home. They have two kids. And um, the kids are, are young, but they're old enough to, to understand what's what's happening, you know. And, and the parents are fighting a lot and stuff. And it's just this really... Um, it's just kind of this portrait of a family. It's semi-autobiographical. The The director, uh, this was his experience as a child. And um, it's just, it's just really a, a beautiful film. And it's, it's one that takes you through a lot of emotions really subtly, where sometimes you don't even realize what you've been feeling until certain moments pass. And it's, yeah, it's, it, I really liked that one a lot. Um... Let's see. Oh, have you heard of The Weeping Woman or La Llorona? Uh, yeah, in fact, you told me about it. Oh, did I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't I don't remember what I've, who I've talked to about <laughs> what. But yeah, La Llorona premiered at TIFF. Yeah. Yeah, it premiered at TIFF, and that was actually how I even found out about it, because I knew about Curse of La Llorona, <laughs> which was the in the Conjuring universe yes. that came out last year. But one of our writers, um, and I feel terrible because I cannot remember his country of origin, but um, he went and saw it, and he wrote this really great review that went into the history of the myth of La Llorona. And, um, and about the Guatemalan civil war and stuff. And, and just reading his review, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait till I get a chance to see this movie. So when I saw it was coming to Sundance, I immediately was like, I'm there. I have to see it. And, um, and it's basically, it's about this general who was in the Guatemalan army who was responsible for a lot of atrocities during the civil war. And one of those was murdering a mother and her two children, a very young mother. And so it's years later and he's being brought up on charges for what he had done. And they're about to read the verdict. It's kind of like this week of, of getting ready to find out if he's going to have to pay for what he did. And this woman shows up to work 
for him and weird stuff starts happening. And so it's this whole like, is she that mother? What's going on? And it's really interesting the way it blends elements of, of horror and mystery. And it's not like a scary, tons of jump scares type of horror movie. It's But it's very unnerving. And it's, which is the kind of horror that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And... I thought it was so good. And that's going to actually be on Shudder. I don't have a specific date for it, but that'll be on Shudder soon. So definitely watch for that. It's good. That's great. Um, yeah. Man, it's so funny because everyone was like, yeah, there was good stuff. But I saw a lot of blah. And I'm looking at my list like, man, I still haven't finished talking about all the awesome things I saw that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked The Glorias. I'll kind of shorten this up a little bit. I really liked The Glorias, which was the, the movie about Gloria Steinem. Uh, by Julie Taymor, and it is a very Julie Taymor movie. So if you like her stuff, I think you'll like this. Um, a couple people complained we were talking about it afterwards, and they didn't like some certain sequences that relied on some visual effects, and it looked a little bit cheap. I actually thought it was brilliant, and I liked that she did it that way, because it looked really rough, and it just kind of added to the texture of the film, I thought. But um, this is one that's definitely going to be a bit polarizing, not just because of the subject, but I think just the, the style, not everybody likes Julie Taymor and what she does. And, um, so not everyone's going to like this, but I thought it was great. I, I thought Alicia Vikander who plays like the, the, or like young adult Gloria Steinem, she was okay, but it really picks up when it's, um, Julianne Moore. And it's funny because I didn't really see any resemblance to to her. But then at one point you see them side by side and it's like, oh, crap. Julia Moore <laughs> really does look like Gloria Steinem. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that was good. Um, I also really liked Wendy, which is another one that's going to be super polarizing. It's the follow-up film by Ben Zeitlin, who did Beasts of the Southern Wild eight years ago, and it oh, okay. really did take him eight years to make this movie. And I thought it was just because of financing, but it was because of how complex certain elements of it were. And uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was very beautiful. It's the Peter Pan story, but it's told through Wendy's eyes, and it's modernized, not fully modern, but it's pretty modernized. And it's set, like, on the East Coast, and Neverland isn't the second start of the right. It's an island in the Caribbean. And so it's got these very interesting... It's it's very much the magical realism, like you got in Beasts mm-hmm. of the Southern Wild. But, but it's just this... There's just something so lovely about it. And it has one of the most beautiful scores I've heard in a movie in a really long time. It's... The score stayed with me for days after I kept humming it, and people were like, "Oh, what is? What are? What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's just stuck in my head, and it's beautiful." Um, yeah. So I really, I really liked that. And then um, Shirley was good. Yeah. It was a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit paint by numbers, but I thought Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stolberg were fantastic. Mm-hmm. She plays Shirley Jackson. He plays her husband. The two of them have the most vicious arguments and it is just, it's funny because a lot of times movies that have these like really realistic arguments between couples are hard for me to watch because it feels a little bit voyeuristic, but this was just like, they're so funny how mean they are that I just was like, keep fighting. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah. And then let's see. Oh, 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 oh. One other movie that I was like, oh my gosh, I need Lauren to see this. I just, I think you'll enjoy it. It's called Save Yourselves with an exclamation point. Uh-huh. And it's about this couple who decides that they need to spend some time reconnecting because they're just too, too just in their devices all the time. And so they decide to go spend a week in a friend's cabin off the grid. And as soon, literally the second they turn off their cell phones and drive away up into the mountains... Aliens invade the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really funny. It's almost the entire movie is just this couple and watching them try to deal with things when they realize something weird is happening and and uh, trying to figure out what sort of survival skills they have. It's it's really just it's funny. So I liked that, too. That sounds great. And um Yeah. There were some others, but I, I think that's enough. I'll stop now. <laughs> okay, well, that's, it sounds like you had a good time at Sundance. I really did. I will say one of the less good movies, actually pretty bad movies I saw was Tesla with um, Ethan Hawke. Okay. And, oh yeah, he plays Nikola Tesla. And it was, I could see where they were trying to go with the movie, but it just didn't work for me. But there's a scene where he ends up. He's doing like a karaoke number <laughs> as Nikola Tesla. <laughs> and he's singing Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. <laughs> and it was, it's That's just a choice. Like, All right. <laughs> I was like, did I fall asleep? Am I dreaming this? Is this really happening? <laughs> and it's, it's weird as hell. Well, the last night I was leaving park city i my friend and i had carpooled we were both staying in salt lake with different friends and so i she was at the headquarters at the hotel so i went to pick her up she hops in the car and we hadn't pulled away yet and she's just like oh hey look it's ethan hawk and i'm like what and i turn around he's just standing out in front of the hotel with his wife i think it was his wife and so I roll down the window, and we're both like, hey, Ethan Hawk. And he's like, hey, guys. <laughs> and and so my friend Tony, she's like, yeah, Tesla. And he's like, oh, you guys saw it? Were you at the show today? And we're like, no, we saw it a couple days ago. And I said, yeah, we have some questions about that karaoke scene. And he starts laughing. He goes, and he's dead serious. He goes, yeah, that scene was so great. It just really elevates the material to this whole other plane. <laughs> And I just looked at him and I go, yeah, it, it was something. <laughs> I was oh like, dear. I don't, I honestly don't know what to say to that. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. So that was my Sundance experience. Interesting. Well, it sounds like you had an awesome Sundance experience. Uh, someday, maybe I'll go to Sundance, although it also sounds like hell in, in some ways, but. A little bit. <laughs> but it's really fun sounds very cool well i i did get to go see uh gretel and hansel which have you seen that yet i have not You've, i missed it have you seen any of os perkins's other films uh i am the pretty thing I that lives in the house know. and the black coat's daughter are the two big ones no i have not well i know the black coat's daughter is one that's been on my list forever yeah, Black Coat's Daughter is is very, very much worth it. I really recommend getting to see that movie. I think it's on Netflix now. 
Um, I think it, so. Yeah, it was on Hulu for a while. I think it's on Netflix now, uh, and and it's it's just a, one of the best horror films of recent years. Um, Gretel and Hansel is. Uh, I, I wrote a full review of this on the website, so I'm just going to talk about it really briefly. Um, Gretel and Hansel is a good film. It is it is one of the most visually arresting horror films I have seen in a while, and that includes things like Midsummer. Uh, which I did not find as visually fascinating as some people did, but um, there are just some images that he creates that are just so remarkable. Like, they're the kind of thing that I want on a poster. Um, they're just really gorgeous and very, um, very frightening. Like, very, like, it's the kind of thing that gets under your skin, sort of. Uh, and And so I really, really wish that I liked the film more because it's one of those films that is kind of, I, I can see what it's trying to do. Uh, and the, the basic plot is, is essentially the same as the fairy tales. Two, two children, um, in this one, Gretel has been aged up, so she's uh, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, uh, played by Sophia Lillis, and her younger brother, Hansel, who is like probably seven or eight, somewhere around there. Um, and they basically get driven out of their home by poverty. They wind up wandering around in the woods. They meet a huntsman who tells them, you know, oh, if you go, if you travel, if you follow this path for two days, you'll come across a group of foresters and they'll be able to give you food and shelter and, and work. Uh, and so they do. And of course they wander off the path and they wind up coming across this witch's cottage and the witch takes them in and she feeds them and she keeps on feeding them and they keep on saying, Oh, we'll leave tomorrow. But then of course they don't. Um, so we, we know the story of, of Gretel and Hansel in some iteration or another. Uh, and what this film tries to do is to sort of turn it into more of a coming of age story um, for Gretel uh, particularly. And also it, it makes some sort of feints at being feminist uh, at kind of depicting the, the oppressions that women have to undergo and the issues that particularly a young woman, so someone who is just becoming a woman, really, uh, is having to face in the choices that she has to make, and that is in particular relationship to the witch and to her younger brother. The problem is it just it doesn't work. Uh, and I think that in some ways the film is hobbled by the fact that it is a fairy tale and that it hews so closely to the original fairy tale so that it doesn't, even though it sort of tries to undercut some elements of it, it doesn't, it doesn't ever completely get there. And I was, I was really, I was disappointed because there is so much that was good in it. The performances are great. The imagery is fantastic. The, the concept is great, and it just doesn't pay off in the way that I think it needed to to truly be a good film. It's worth seeing, uh, and I know that there are a lot of people that have reacted differently to the, than the way that I'm reacting, but that was just sort of my experience of it. I do really recommend you see Black Coat's Daughter, though, uh, definitely over this one. Yeah, okay. And I just checked it is on Netflix and Tubi and Canopy, so I will watch it. Good. Yes, definitely see it. <laughs> so the one one other thing that I wanted to discuss really, really quickly uh, is it's Black History Month, obviously. And that means that there are a lot of streaming companies that are putting up um, uh, a lot of Black-directed films and Black-centric films on their streaming sites. Particularly Criterion Collection has, uh, the Criterion Channel has done a wonderful job. They put up uh, almost all, I think, of Kino's um, uh, 
Pioneer's African-American Filmmakers Collection, which is remarkable. And so I just wanted to see if we had some recommendations for things for people to watch. One of the ones that I recently saw that I should have seen millennia ago uh, is Oscar Michaud's Within Our Gates, which is a 1920 mm-hmm. film that's a, uh, in part is a response to Griffith's Birth of a Nation, uh, which had come out several years before and deals with some of the same thematics, but obviously from a uh, African-American perspective and showing much more what we know to be the reality of, of uh, black and white relations uh, in, in America in general. Um, it really is a, an, an amazing film. It's now been restored to pretty much as close to complete as we can, as they can get it basically. Uh, it's a beautiful film. It's very well made, and particularly the last twenty minutes is um, fifteen twenty minutes is is one of the most harrowing experiences. Uh, just yeah, just to see the way he and he goes because the the last twenty minutes are essentially taken up with um, a, the false accusation of a crime and a lynch mob, and what happens is very shocking, and it's shocking to see it in many ways in a very stark and clear way. Um, and so I really recommend that people that people seek that one out. It is on the Criterion Channel. I believe it's also on Canopy, uh, and I you could get it in not great public domain prints, but do try to find like a streaming site that actually has a good version of it, which is why I'm recommending the Criterion Channel. So do you have any recommendations right now, Karen? I know I kind of sprang this on you. <laughs> Um, I wish I had some better ones, but just off the top of my head, the ones that pop into my mind are some of the more recent things. Um. Well, more recent. I mean, like from the '90s, uh, <laughs> like um, Spike Lee's films "Do the Right Thing" and Malcolm X. I think are are really great films to to watch and to reflect on where society still is. Not that yeah. much later, not long after those movies came out. Um, yeah, and I think going into well, I guess by the time they hear this, the Oscars will be over. But Harriet was nominated for. Um, best actress Cynthia Revo and original song and it's a really beautiful film about Harriet Tubman it's really too bad that more people didn't get a chance to see it those are mine for That's now great. I'll have better ones next time we'll talk, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about this more uh, I just I just I honestly just really wanted to say that within our gates please go watch it if you haven't seen it yes especially, I'm definitely gonna watch that especially you know birth of a nation gets talked about so much and mm-hmm. you know it's still taught it's just like oh yeah it's horrible but it's really influential it's just like I mean, that's true. Uh, but I think it's very important to also then see this film, um, which is is self-evidently a response, at least at least in, in some of the sections, uh, to the way that... Um, the way that Griffith represents both blacks and whites uh, in, in Birth of a Nation. And Michaud, Michaud has a lot more subtlety. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Which, when you see the film, you're just like, yes, that actually is more subtle, even though it's very overt at the same time. <laughs> uh, so those are our recommendations, and I think that that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Karen? Um, just that we haven't forgotten about or ignored Birds of Prey. We're going to wait and talk about that next week when we both have the chance to see it. Yes, and what do you have on tap for this week? Um, the Oscars. The Oscars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And As I then said that. very... <laughs> Yeah, and then a very good nap, and I am actually seeing Emma next week, yeah. so we're 
already on to 2021. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm gonna go How see I'm gonna go see Birds of Prey tomorrow. Uh, yes. I'm really looking forward to it. Like I need I need that. I need it right now. I really do. Oh, you're gonna. Oh man. You're going to love it so much. I cannot wait. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to this. But yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking Text about that. me the second you're done watching it. <laughs> I will. Oh, you know I will. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking about that next week. Until then, there are many different ways that you can get in touch with us. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We still have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can email us your thoughts, feelings, questions comments etc um that's at citizen Day. gift certificates for starbucks yeah of course uh sc- yeah <laughs> screeners monies you know just like <laughs> credit card numbers uh that's uh, citizen at gmail.com of course we have our website citizen where we have reviews and i'm trying to get my dame struck thing going again um and we've also got some editorials, and you can read more about what we think of Jojo Rabbit. You can read Karen's review. You can read my editorial. We have talked about Jojo Rabbit constantly, and we probably will mention it again before <laughs> long. Uh, if you want to give us some money, we do have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash citizendame. We are always very, very grateful to our patrons who enabled us to continue to record and to pay for hosting fees and stuff like that. Thank you so much, guys. Um, for as little as $1, you can support us. And if you give us more than that, then you get some fun little things and we're gonna try to get some bonus content and stuff like that up as well. Uh, we also have a Zazzle store, it's zazzle.com slash citizen dame that has buttons and mugs and bumper stickers and t-shirts and fun things there. Uh, if you wanna give us a few dollars, but without making the commitment, we do have a Ko-Fi, that's co-fi.com slash citizen dame. And uh, and you can kick us some money there and just make us really, really happy. So thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. And the Oscar goes to Taika Waititi. This is really great. And I dedicate this to uh, all the indigenous kids in the world who uh, want to, uh, to do art and dance and write stories. We are the original storytellers and uh, we can uh, make it here as well. Thank you. Kia ora.